You know what they say, the best method of keeping the doctor away is by every day listening to this podcast. Before I continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, it is donation time here at Potterless. We donate $1 for every member of our team over at patreon.com slash Potterless for the first episode of the month, and we pick a different charity. And at the time of recording, we have 850 patrons, meaning we'll be giving $850 to every town for gun safety. I know that I've donated to a similar charity, one that is actually through every town called Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. This is their parent organization. They do a lot of different things, especially with gun control legislation. And given the fact that America just had two terrible gun-related tragedies in a 24-hour span, I think that donating to this charity is incredibly timely because hopefully the money that we give can help kick something into action. I really just hope things can change because it's just getting absurd at this point. A lot of people sent me really great charity suggestions for August, but this one just really hit me hard, especially with one of the shootings being in El Paso, Texas, and I used to live in Texas. So this is the one that I think makes the most sense. If you want to learn more about this charity and what they do, you can head to everytown.org. On a happier note, I have news about my involvement at LeakyCon Dallas. I've got all the details and they added me to three new things. So on Friday, there will be Potterless Live. On Saturday, I will be part of Questions of the Wizarding World, the Room of Requirement. And on Sunday, I'm doing LeakyCon Pyramid with the guy who played the Toothless Walnut, Tom the Innkeeper, in the movies. I'm also doing a panel about the portraits and pictures of the Wizarding World. You know how I've asked about how those work in a million episodes of Potterless. And I'm rounding out the convention, the last thing that happening on the main stage is Pottercastless Live, a hybrid between Potterless and Pottercast, one of the oldest and one of the newest Harry Potter podcasts together. I'm really excited if you are going to be at LeakyCon. I hope to see you there. And if you just live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, I'm thinking Saturday afternoon makes the most sense for the meetup. As always, follow Potterless on social media. I'll post about everything, but I'm really excited to see some of you there. And speaking of things that make me excited, we've new patrons. Welcome to the team. So shout out to Pauline M, Bree Clark, Heather Povey, Mel Curtis, Tamara, Landon, Christine Menchaca, Ryan Clevens, Lauren Wainwright, James D. Powdrell, Melissa M. Dickinson, Laura Bowman, Marion Overfield, Hannah Zidlowski, Jasmine Hugo, Tom Tom Tompkins, Megan Vranick, Ali March, Jessica Phillips, Kylie Kubash, Sabrina Balsiger, Catherine Boyd, Becca Campbell, Deborah Moltisanti, and someone who made their name Harry Potter went to Arizona State, which is a joke of my other podcast, Horse. A correction for Ali Huser, who wanted her patron shout out to go to her brother Will. A pronunciation correction for Jaden Allman. Shout out to May Farrell, who upgraded their pledge, and a huge shout out to Zephyr Lawrence and Artemis Peters, our newest producer-level patrons. They join the ranks of Vicky, Aaron, Jesse, Natalie, Clow, Frank, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Abid, Rosemarie, Maria, Lisa, Romina, Kamel, Russell, Audra, Eleanor, Sydney, Rosanne, Nikita, Taylor, Ali, Amelia, Sean, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Takari, Haley, Moster, Angelina, Ross, Marie, Alex, Brian, Caitlin, Grace, Raul, Ingen, Mari, Alex, John, Noel, Tao, Emily, Robin, Will, Liz, Mariah, Brandon, Sarah, Claire, Gloria, Sarah, Patrick, Alicat, Hallie, Veronica, Kevin, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Friede, Ivor, Naomi, Tyler, Summer, Heather, Vera, Kerry, Andrea, Ella, Anthony, David, Elisa. Lynn, Cameron, Justin, Christine, Jacob, Toothless, Maya, Mark, Polly, Surjanetta, Tumnus, Remy, Matt, Sarah, Nona, Zena, Colleen, Harlan, Sheldrop, Noelia, Addie, Brian, Jenny, Nikki, Kara, Dorcas, Courtney, Kine, Amanda, Sabrina, Alicia, Kafir, Lindy, Martha, Benjamin, Sky, Mart, Sarah, Peter, Yash, Marta, Stephanie, Justine, Aaron, CJ, Eileen, Violet, Kat, Lindsay, Fielding, Keegan, Miranda, Gail, Mr. Folk, Heather, Adam, Christina, Maya, Zachary, Kieran, Heaven, Callahan, Christy, Lily, Wire Warrior, Floor, Siri, Georgia, Vile, Itzel, Mitch, Al, Topher, Peter, Candy, Skyla, Edel, Kelsey, Ellie, Professor Threat, Kelly, Alubin, Maleo, Lena, Daniel. 
Rebecca, Lee, 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 Elizabeth, Abby, Lika, Michael, Earmuffs, Kara, Tiffany, Kelly, Nadia, Andrea, Courtney, Sparkle Cat, Carrie, Jamie, Lissy, Camilo, Connie, Janet, Mary, Imo, Malin, Anastasia, Jaden, Nedry, Matt, Riley, Will, and Can't I Potter, who never forget to put suntan lotion on their chest when floating the river in Texas. If you want to be like one of these patrons and get access to exclusive live streams, discount on the merchandise, my notes, bonus episodes, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 87 of Potterless, covering chapter 35 of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, guest starring Jeffrey Craner of Welcome to Night Vale. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man reading a bunch of children's novels for the very first time. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm that grown man, and I'm here joined by a good, good podcast boy that I love to see at conventions and in real life. And now we're here live in the multitudio New York City. Jeffrey Craner, one of the creators of Welcome to Nightville. Jeffrey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Nice. I'm Still scratching my head from reading chapter 35. Uh huh. It was called King's Cross, and I was like, interesting. I didn't think they'd be going back to King's Cross already. Not really King's Cross. <laughs> no, no. Well, I, it's funny uh, that I started reading this last night and finished this chapter this morning, and I, uh, I'm actually in New York City because I'm flying out tonight to go to a podcast conference in nice. London. Oh. So I will be staying basically at the hotel next to King's Cross so Ooh. I can go check for the things mentioned in That's this fun. chapter. In real King's Cross, did they have like a Harry Potter, like an homage to it? Oh, they I do. Like, yeah, did they have like a nine and three quarter sign or something? Well, it was uh, the first several times I was ever in King's Cross, it was always late at night mm -hmm. uh, when I was going, trying to find night bus. And uh, there's a sign for nine and three quarters, but there's just like, just a concrete slab on the wall. Okay. And I was like, this is boring. You just stand under a sign. Is that what it is? And then I was finally there in the daytime, my last trip there and there is a there is a line hundreds of people deep and they've got it all they take it down at night obviously because oh. they don't want so they've got the whole like oh the, the push, cart that's the like halfway, halfway through. through the oh, wall okay. and so there's just a whole line of people that just waiting to get uh their picture made next to it and there's stanchions everywhere i don't know if they charge you for it i didn't Ooh. get close enough to do that i don't <laughs> yeah, want to is it new york city times square rules where you have to give the cart a dollar yeah that's absolutely <laughs> it the one i know they have it at universal at the parks where like you go through and then they have the camera thing and one of your friends can take a video and it makes it look like you go through the brick wall and that's very fun. oh okay so i have a video of me like dancing through it which is very fun oh interesting they should have a thing where they get like red-headed stage actors to look like the weasleys and going through i think that would be a a fun little I think bit that would to be have. perfect. I wonder I didn't couldn't see the people manning the thing, staffing it, but they I wonder if they're in costume, like a Disney World type Ooh. of thing. Mm -hmm. So then that way you kind of look like you're around the other wizarding <laughs> kids or something getting on. I have no idea. But I will look this time for a flayed baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a fun Google uh -huh. journey that I went through. So, yeah, let's let's get into Chapter 35, which is not about King's Cross at all. Going into it, I was a little sad because with it being called King's Cross, because I'm pretty sure... Like one of the ending chapters, maybe the last chapter in book five is called King's Cross when they're like going home mm -hmm. or it's it's something like that. That's a thing that has happened in the books where the last chapter is them just taking the train home. Right. With this chapter being titled this, I was afraid that this chapter was going to be like Harry waking up immediately and then Voldemort being dead and then all the Death Eaters being scared and then everything's fine and then they leave. And I was like, this is going to be awful. Like I want a big fight between Harry and Voldemort. And the King's Cross is very different as we learn. So Harry wakes up. 
he realizes that he has the sense of touch and thus he must be alive. And then he realizes he's naked. We're like two senses in and uh-huh. we've got like naked Harry Potter who is in maybe <laughs> heaven. I was very confused. I, yeah, I, I do feel like it was that sentence that started the uh, Tumblr website, basically. <laughs> so he opens his eyes and he sees mist. And it feels like he's in heaven. He doesn't have glasses on. Then he hears a strange noise. And when he hears this noise, he wishes that he had clothes. And then instantly robes appear. And he puts them on. So while I was reading it out loud, I said, what is this? Some sort of room of requirement? And then the very next line, narrator Harry's like, am I in the room of requirement? (laughs) (laughs) Which is very good. Uh, So then he goes to a large glass hall. And he determines what is making the noise is a flayed baby, which I Googled. I was like, I wonder what, at first I was like, okay, flayed baby. I thought it just meant like sprawled out. And then a couple sentences later, it says flayed baby again. I was like, okay, the word flayed must be important. So I Googled it and it means to be without skin. Right. Do you know what this word means in like actual context? I've never heard anyone refer to anything as flayed before. Yeah, I've always heard the term, I've just always thought of like to flay something is to skin it. Okay. Is to remove the skin from something. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's used in chefery. I guess, or, or yeah, something, Bobby but, Flay, I bo- guess. Bobby Flay. <laughs> Good God. Um, that's you what have happened. history with Bobby Flay? Well, that's what you get to do if you, you get to flay Bobby if you beat Bobby Flay. <laughs> yeah, that's and the so prize. That's, it's very important that he never lose that competition. <laughs> um, the, um, yeah, I sort of, I guess I've seen it written before in, mm-hmm. usually in adult books, mentioning right. flaying, mm-hmm. even just an adult, let alone a baby. Right. But I guess since it never mentions it in the act of being flayed. Right. It's, it's just, just already there. That mm-hmm. seems, that's G-rated. I guess it didn't yeah. go through the process of being flayed. It just is flayed. It, it, it just is flayed. I'm going to have to keep my eyes peeled on it because I feel like every time I get chicken breasts at the grocery store, it says skinless. But it'd be very fun if it was like flayed chicken breasts. Like, I feel like that's something Whole Foods would do. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's your flayed chicken thighs. <laughs> You're like some fancy word to say debone too. Nothing worse than buying chicken thighs that you think don't have bones in them and then they have bones. There's probably real worse things, but. <laughs> yeah, and it does shorten your bite for future chicken. <laughs> yeah, very important to use fork and knife. We then move on from a baby being flayed to Dumbledore being there, which I just wrote in my notes in all caps, like, what the fuck is going on? So Harry turns to Dumbledore and says, but you're dead. And Dumbledore says, oh, yes. And Harry says, then I'm dead too. And then Dumbledore says, ah, that is the question, isn't it? On the whole, dear boy, I think not. And I was like screaming at my book, just just be direct for once in your life, Dumbledore. such a dick about this. Like, it's just, I've had so many different bosses in my life, and some of them were really kind of harsh people. They were very direct. And looking back, I think I may have preferred the very direct, harsh person over the the person who just kind of was cryptic. I think in real life, like in books, if somebody is kind of elderly and smart-seeming and cryptic, Mm -hmm. your instant idea is, oh, they're wise, and I can learn a lot from them. But in real life, you meet that person, you're like, you're crazy. I'm never going to keep... (laughs) listening to you or follow any suggestion you have like you need to tell me what you want yes i agree i think it's a waste of time to beat around the bush and stuff this has gotten me into trouble because i grew up in new jersey which is a very you tell people how you feel and it's very clear like hi richard i don't like you right and here is why and if this means we're not going to be friends fine and if we improve on this great it's just like very direct which i like and then i moved to texas which has southern hospitality which doesn't actually mean people are nice it means people pretend to be nice 
and then they're mean behind your back. And Brandon, who is producing the podcast sitting behind me, we had a conversation about this in Tennessee with one of our Uber drivers about how like there will be people who like offer you like, oh, would you like another round of drinks, which apparently is like code for get out of my house, please. Uh-huh. Which is just all this like wild <laughs> stuff. People in Texas thought I was a monster. People thought I was so mean just because I was like direct with my feelings. And it was really bad. <laughs> Uh, New Jersey is the direct state, I believe. But I, uh, yeah, well, it makes me think of, not to sidetrack too much, but the uh, uh, Adel was telling me this story uh, a year or so ago about uh-huh. the demeanor in the Midwest, about the whole offering drinks thing. Uh-huh. He was like, you know, growing up near Chicago, if you go to a friend's house and their mom comes in and is like, you boys want some pop? you say no you always say no and the idea is that you say no and then they were like are you sure and you're like no i'm fine and they're like well i'm going to the kitchen anyway and then you say you know what i will have one thank you it's how you do it and uh... he was like i went to a friend's house one time his mom came in he's like you boys want some pop and i was like no i'm fine and then she just walked off and i was like well i'm thirsty i want a pop I don't i don't process it and it's hard and i need to do better about it in my life but i just I don't know. I just want things to be direct. I worked my previous job when I worked at a digital marketing agency. The CEO was the most transparent person ever. And his whole big thing, our core value of the company was transparency. We would have monthly meetings called biggest weakness meetings where like the higher up people would get in front of the whole office, like a hundred people, big open floor, startup office. They would select a couple people. They would get up and then people would just raise their hands and tell them like what they're not good at. Whoa. Wild. Absolutely wild ridiculous that it happened but it was the most effective thing ever (laughs) it was so incredibly effective there's this one dude who i had a problem with since it was an open floor office he would just like come to your table and like talk to you about stuff and it was like my dude i want to help you but i'm working on something can you just like and i raised my hand i'm told i was like yo it's totally fine happy to help you out on stuff just like either shoot me an email or a slack message that's just like hey want to talk to you about this when you have a chance and then i'll either say come over or whatever or like give me 10 minutes Raised my hand, told him that, and then a couple people, when I said it, like, you could hear them mumble, like, oh, yeah, he does do that a lot. And then he never did it from then on. And everything was so much better. He would send little Slack messages like, hey, want to talk to you about this campaign? Tight, come on through. Ugh. Yeah. So wild that the meeting happened. And I can see how so many people would be uncomfortable with it, but it was so effective. Right. (laughs) Yeah. That directness helps a lot. Yeah. The haziness of what Mm -hmm. of Dumbledore's message, it makes for really interesting reading because really what he is, is he's the author withholding information from you, the reader. Yes. His personality is just a device. So that you have plot twists and big reveals at the end. Yeah. This is the same thing. It's like one of those automated pet feeders. You can't just leave out a (laughs) giant tub of food. They're not going to ration their food. Food while you're out of town mm-hmm. so you have to dole it out and that's what he is he's a he's a robotic pet feeder that's pretty of information that's pretty accurate yeah i understand why he did it during the books not only just as a plot device but also he was very intentional to not tell harry about the horcruxes so harry didn't know he was one and then get all depressed about it or he didn't tell him about the hallows so that harry wouldn't foolishly seek after them and they have a conversation about that here but We have the whole chapter where Harry learns all of Dumbledore's stuff, and we would assume that this ghostly Dumbledore read that chapter or saw Harry do these things. So I don't get what the point of him being coy at this point is. That's a great point. And Dumbledore even feels bad about being coy and has done that multiple times before. It's like, at least when we're in this weird dreamscape, just be direct. Maybe because this is all taking place in Harry's brain, Harry's depiction of Dumbledore is like, well, in this Dumbledore I've created in my mind, he can't be direct. Yeah. Like He has to still be on his bullshit of like, what do you think is happening, Harry? <laughs> he's a, Yeah, he's a psychiatrist is what he is. <laughs> well, what 
out how did it make you feel? Mm, where do you think we are? No, you're, you're totally right. Because it, at that point, really what Dumbledore is saying by kind of alluding the question is, I don't know. Yeah. You just can't say, <laughs> honestly, I don't know. Right. And he gets there eventually, but it's like, you could have just told me this yeah. first. Just be yeah. like, I don't know where we are, Harry. Yeah. How's it going? So I'm very frustrated with his being coy and Harry is persistent. He keeps asking Dumbledore what is going on. I like that the first thing that Harry says, he just goes, explain, which is very good. (laughs) Harry cutting straight to the chase. Uh Dumbledore keeps saying things like, oh, you know, Harry, and I think you know, Harry and all of this stuff. So what we learn from all of this, which this is like a page condensed into a sentence, Uh is that Harry let Voldemort kill him. The part of Voldemort's soul that was inside of Harry is what is dead. Harry was able to live because Voldemort took Harry's blood in book four when he came back to life, meaning that Lily's protection is in both of them, which I find to be incredibly specific, but Mm -hmm. also like a great nugget of detail where I reading it was of the same mind of Voldemort. I was like, oh, this is like some power trip thing where he thinks it's special for him to use his blood, blah, blah, blah. But like it actually comes back to bite him in the ass. Like if he didn't do this. His whole plan would have worked. Yeah. (laughs) If he had just used anyone else's blood, he would have been fine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just anyone's. Uh, Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, because it's the arrogance, right? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, because his his pride, his hubris, his hubris. That's right. Is that the right use of it? That's perfect. Sweet. Mrs. Woodman, my eighth grade English teacher, will be so (laughs) stoked. I still don't fully follow all of that logic, even hearing you explain it even more. Tersely and and I think succinctly, it's more succinctly and, and accurately than maybe I get from the reread of the book. But I don't, there's something about like, I'm not entirely sure how the blood flow leads to, right. yeah, all of that. I was confused about it. I was in the same spot as you until Dumbledore explains a little bit later about the wand thing. Okay. So what Dumbledore goes on to explain is that when he came back to life, because he used Harry's blood, he doubled or at least strengthened Mm -hmm. the bond between them because yeah it wouldn't make sense to say like oh because Voldemort has Harry's blood and thus Lily's charm in him therefore Harry can't die like it doesn't seem like anything extra was done to Harry so I think what it comes down to is that the link between them was further strengthened so it's kind of by more of Harry being in Voldemort that connection is stronger so I guess Voldemort can't purely kill Harry, because then he would be killing himself. But then I just want to know why I want to know why the Horcrux aspect of Harry's soul is what breaks and not Harry, because the other things that we've learned about Horcruxes is that when the container breaks, the Horcrux inside then dies because it has nothing to be within. So like when they shank the book, the Horcrux dies because the container has been destroyed. Same thing with the cup and the locket and and the ring or whatever. It's always the thing getting destroyed. So it's not like Harry has been completely destroyed unless it's something where it's like Harry is destroyed and that's where now he's in this dreamscape and then Voldemort's Horcrux goes away and then Harry gets like why does Harry get to go back in his body after that's what I don't get yeah is it and maybe this is it maybe it's because 
Lily's protection now being in Voldemort is kind of it's Horcrux adjacent where like there's still a part of Harry's soul living in someone. So he's able to go back into his body, kind of like how when Voldemort killed Harry, there was still part of his souls in the other Horcruxes, which is why he didn't completely die. So maybe Harry is like living on in Voldemort through his blood. That would be my guess. Yeah. I'm sure everyone on Twitter will have better explanations for me. <laughs> then I, but then I'm sort of interested in the idea of the body dying, but the human not dying. And, right. And the... Because now I sort of do want more about, like, I want a Larry McMurtry style sequel to this. To What's this, Larry to the, McMurtry? Larry McMurtry is the writer of, uh, it's kind of like new Western writer. Okay. Uh, wrote Lonesome Dove, and he also wrote Terms of Endearment. Okay. Um, but he, he wrote a book of essays a couple of decades ago that I read called Walter Benjamin at the Dairy Queen. Hmm. And it is just basically about his life and and it's sort of memoirish and talks about reading the philosopher Walter Benjamin while sitting at the Dairy Queen okay. in Archer City, Texas or wherever he was living. But in that, he talks about in his older age, he had quadruple bypass surgery. Wow. And he essentially, essentially his body died and mm-hmm. they saved him and then they did this quadruple bypass and he lived. And then he just kind of talks about sort of living without a soul. Like, he's just a different person since that happened. Oh, really? And he he knows it. He knows he's not the same person. He just realizes that he's still in this body. And it's really, it's sort of terrifying and fascinating, but he kind of treats it more like uh, intellectual existentialism rather than actual horrified existentialism. But uh, but yeah, I think about that when phrased that way, or just the idea of when Harry dies and he gets to go back into his body. Yeah, what happens to him in his adult life? Like, is he ever the same person? The other aspect of that, too, is is that there's something weirdly, like, undead about that. Like, what damage was done to his body? Right. Like, if... If you have to break the container, like, what happened to his body? Yeah. Yeah, did he, like... Did, did his liver get damaged? Did he, uh... (laughs) Like, was it just a matter of, like... Because the body doesn't just die. Something breaks down in in the flow of things. Like, even if you get shot in the heart... You die because of blood loss. Right. I guess, I guess what this this is a bigger question of like what exactly does Avada Kedavra do? What about Avada Kedavra makes you die? Doesn't it like tear open your body or something? I'm gonna Google what Avada Kedavra translates to. Oh no, that's something else. He, that's the thing he does to. Oh yeah. Okay. Avada Kedavra translates to "I destroy as I speak." Okay. So it makes it interesting. I, but uh, this is, I know JK said she's going to make the like history of magic books about the subjects that or whatever that like are like a written by her poetry but not. flyer. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I want, I would, I just want like a deep dive. I don't care. I don't care what medium it is in, even if it's on Pottermore or an interview or something, just something where people ask. And if it's got to be me, put me in, coach. Mm-hmm. Just, if she has it in her brain, these things worked out of like exactly what went down. There are so many people that are still wondering this stuff. However many years later, I feel like it'd be so great for her to actually be like, here's what happens. And this is why this went down. Cause how, I don't think we're going to be able to answer this. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think, but I think ultimately it probably just comes down to like, listen, don't think too hard on it. Yeah. It's going to, it's, it's going to be book. Um, there's <laughs> the, um, I use this example all the time, which is, um, you know, sometimes when you're reading a book or you're watching a movie or something, sometimes the ending just doesn't stick. In fact, very I feel like more often than not, mm-hmm. an ending just doesn't quite, it just doesn't land right. Game of a, Thrones, am I right? Really? <laughs> I've you not are. watched it. I just have a Twitter account. <laughs> um, yeah, it, there's a thing where uh, when I was in high school, Die Hard 2 came out. Die Harder. Die Harder. <laughs> and uh, that's the one where I'm just going to spoil it for you. It's been out 20 years right. or more. So... 
at the end of this movie, it, it's the terrorists, and they're on a plane, and they're going to get away, and Bruce Willis has a big fight, but then he ends up getting knocked off the plane, and then they, they're flying the jumbo jet away. But what you realize, before he had gotten knocked off the wing, he had unscrewed the fuel cap, like it's a Honda CRV, <laughs> and um, he had unscrewed the fuel cap, landed on the tarmac, and there was just... As the plane is taking off, there's a trail of fuel and he takes out his lighter and he lights it. And you see the plane's that already taking off. I mean, it's already <laughs> has to be well over 130 miles an hour to reach altitude. And and I don't even know what the speed is, but the fire goes all the way down the tarmac and then up into the air and follows into the, the wing and blows the whole plane up. That's amazing. <laughs> and my thought on that, I remember my friend Rob and I saw this together and Rob was like, I had so much fun in the movie until that part, so I'm just going to pretend like he killed the terrorists on the plane. For the rest of my life, I'm going to tell myself he won the battle on the plane, because that was a pretty good battle. Mm -hmm. And I would rather him just shot them both dead. Yeah. Then and then, and then we'd be like, crap. fun movie. Yeah. I think with action movies, and this is a whole other tangent, it's hard where to draw the line versus go over, because part of that is awesome, but also part of that is terrible. <laughs> and I think the John Wick franchise perfectly toes the line of hitting awesome without being too much. There's so many things that happen in those movies where you're like, if this was any more absurd, I would not like it, but it's just absurd enough where you're like, this is very cool and I'm glad this <laughs> happened. But if it was turned up any more degree, I'd be like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I do want to say I don't I don't find the ending of this book to be ridiculous mm -hmm. like Die Harder was, but um but I uh but there is something about like it kind of falls into that same category of like you know, you can either accept it or not. Sure. It, it is there, it's not. And so I I just remember some this happens in a lot of books. Sometimes I just get confused by a thing and I think, you know what? I'm just going to trust you that it all makes sense because if mm -hmm. I spend too much time on this, I will I'll lose my momentum. Yeah. It'll be like calling a timeout with three minutes left after oh. you just went on a 12 to 2 run. A Nick Nurse timely burn. We're recording this on June 11th, so June 10th. That oh. I know Listen to Horse if you don't get that. When does this episode come out? <laughs> oh, for like three and a half months probably. So oh, okay. We well, will know that either the Golden State Warriors or the Toronto Raptors were NBA champions. Well, we already know that the Raptors lost in seven <laughs> and that Kawhi signed with the Los Angeles Clippers. If you predict this, that will be phenomenal. And um, and KD, after after being courted very heavily at a bargain by the Dallas Mavericks, ends up signing with the Brooklyn Nets. You think he's going to be the Nets? I, I don't. No. I'm just okay. I'm Good. making that some crazy my, that crap That would hurt up. my heart so much. Hey, uh, editing Mike here. Guess where Kevin Durant signed? The Nets. Guess how my heart feels. Hurt, just like past Mike predicted it would. I gotta tip my hat to Jeffrey Craner, though, correctly predicting the landing spots of the two biggest free agents of this NBA's offseason, though he was incorrect about who would win the title. But hey, you can't win them all, Jeffrey. Anyway, since this is not related to Harry Potter, we might as well take a break real quick to do a little bit of Wingardium Adridosa. Today's episode of Powderless is brought to you by Calm. Let's say hypothetically that you are in a dreamlike King's Cross station with Dumbledore and a flayed baby, and this is really kind of stressing you out because you don't know where you are, you don't know if you're dead, you don't know if you're alive, and this is affecting how you sleep. That's a problem because sleep is very important. How are you going to sleep better? With Calm. Calm is the number one app for getting good sleep. Sleep is important. When you sleep well, you're more focused, you're more relaxed, and it makes you feel generally happier. It can help your overall wellness. Sleep is huge. 
huge. I don't get enough sleep. I need to make sure that I'm getting more sleep. And Calm has helped me get better sleep rather than browse my phone or watch something stressful or suspenseful on Netflix. Calm has amazing audio that can relax you, get you nice and soothed, and not only help you fall asleep faster, but have a more relaxing transition into sleep. From sleep stories to guided meditations, Calm has a lot of different things that you can listen to. They've got nice soothing raindrops in the background and sweet sounding narrators that can put you into a nice sleep. You'll find a whole library of programs designed to help you get the sleep that your brain and your body needs. And right now you can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription if you go to calm.com slash potterless. Again, that is C-A-L-M dot com slash potterless and you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. Over 40 million people have downloaded Calm. Find out why at calm.com slash potterless and get better sleep after your strange King's Cross visit today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get right 10% you can off get, your first purchase right by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash potterless for 10% off your first purchase. Wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com You can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Okay, anyway, Harry Potter. So Harry is confused because he thought that they would both have to die, going back to the whole prophecy thing, but it seems as if they are both living. Harry asks again if they can help the baby, and Dumbledore says there's nothing they can do. And Harry then says, then explain more, which I love this. Mm -hmm. I love Harry just 
he, I've always harped on Harry not asking enough questions and not being direct enough. And people have rightfully pointed out that he, his upbringing, he was told not to ask questions. True. So I'm glad that he has now matured to the point and now having seen the whole Snape Dumbledore flashback, knowing Dumbledore's bullshit, he's just like, all right, I yeah. just have to ask this guy to tell me more things. He's That's moved from Texas to New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So Dumbledore goes on this whole big soliloquy about how Voldemort didn't plan to make Harry a Horcrux and how Voldemort's soul was made so unstable by all of his actions and how he didn't respect other powerful forms of magic such as house elves and love and loyalty and innocence. And then he also says children's tales, which he's he's referring to the Hallows, right? He's not saying like, oh, Humpty Dumpty is a form of love. Right, okay. right, yeah. <laughs> he's referring to the original Grimm. Yeah. Okay, good. I was a bit confused. I was like, yeah, these things all have really powerful magic. And then it's like children's tales. I was like, mm, okay, <laughs> interesting choice. Then Dumbledore explains the whole Voldemort taking the blood thing. His intention was to take Harry's blood to make him stronger, but instead it kept Lily's sacrifice alive in both of them. When Harry asks if Dumbledore knew this all along, Dumbledore says, quote, I guessed, but my guesses have usually been good, which I absolutely love. It's that is really so amazing. It's really, truly amazing. It's and he's so not wrong. Arrogant. Like, where's the lie? That's right. <laughs> he's been pretty good. Yeah, I like that description of him holding out his arms going, where's the lie? <laughs> so Harry insists that there is more and he continues to ask questions, which is great. He asks why his wand broke the one that Voldemort borrowed. And Dumbledore says he isn't sure. Harry then says, have a guess then, which he's he's gone from <laughs> just shady. being direct. Yeah, to throwing shade and sassy. I like that even in heaven, sassy Harry still persists. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And Dumbledore's theory is that when Voldemort came back to life and used Harry's blood to do so, that he doubled the bond between them because you have Harry inside Voldemort via blood and Voldemort inside Harry via the Horcrux. Dumbledore adds that Voldemort never knew that his wand was a twin of Harry's until he kidnapped Ollivander. Dumbledore explains that the gold flame coming out of Harry's wand against Voldemort is the core of Harry's wand sensing Voldemort because they have that connection and then sort of using his own magic against Voldemort, you know, knowing that he's like an owner or at least has a connection to this wand and he can tell that Voldemort is using a different wand. So I don't know if that's like the core being mad like it's like yeah, like Voldemort's cheating on the core uh -huh. of the wand by using some other wand so it shoots out a big flame of gold and anger and jealousy or whatever but it, it's something about the connection of why that happened and it just sh did an outburst of magic against Voldemort against Harry's will Dumbledore then goes on to clarify about Harry's wand otherwise it was a wand like any other dot 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 though a good one I'm sure trying to like make a nice save at the end to not just dunk on Harry's wand <laughs> Which is very fun. <laughs> Harry says that Voldemort killed him with Dumbledore's wand. Dumbledore corrects him that Voldemort failed to kill you with my wand. Dumbledore can't help but be cheeky at right. any time, any right. excuse that he can. This is very beautiful mind here. Like mm -hmm. the newspaper up on the wall and we've gotten thumbtacks and yarn and everything mm -hmm. stringing all of this together. It still is very much like a, I think I get it, but not that I could re-explain it in any way. Uh -huh. But it, as you're telling me all this, it, it is funny like how wordy this chapter is for just Dumbledore talking yes. and it is the classic trope of the Bond villain he has <laughs> Bond tied up and then he tells him his master plan right and this is the reverse of that because Dumbledore is actually the paternal figure mm -hmm. so it's dead dad ghost basically <laughs> explaining 
how everything's going to turn out. So it's, it's a it's a really interesting thing. It is it's this it's a whole chapter of just Dumbledore talking. Yeah, it's basically Dumbledore explains what happened. Yeah, this is the did you see the leftovers? I did not. I know the general plot. I love the leftovers. It's amazing. But there is there is a very 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 long scene near the end that is just a shot of a person talking. I think it's amazingly done. I hated it the first time I saw it and then I rewatched it and I was like, oh, I get what they're doing and this is actually amazing when Mm -hmm. I sit and think about it. There's something about, I sort of thought about the leftovers in this chapter too Mm -hmm. because there is, there's a lot of fact and there's a lot of plot and there's a lot of explanation that has to be done to draw these things together. But at the heart of it, like I do sort of like that it's unclear slightly. And we'll yeah. talk more about the baby in a second. Mm-hmm. But I have no but, idea what the hell that is. But there's some visuals that don't quite connect, right? Like the, right. the way it's described, it's not maybe King's Cross. It's something that's a dream state sort of thing. But yeah. it probably, even though she doesn't do a lot of describing, of, not that I could describe King's Cross <laughs> Station to you, but it, it doesn't it doesn't sound like the actual description of it, except other components, maybe yeah. that flashes of that. So there's something interesting about the dream logic there and the idea that this could all be conceived of by Harry, mm-hmm. but maybe it's not. And it's probably best that we don't know. Right. Religion is not fun if you have to explain it with fact. Yeah. I, I think that's the point of it is that it is vague and and at the end of the day these are books about kids that do magic so it can be whatever you <laughs> interpret it to be. Uh, and, I, and I get caught of this like wanting to know the explanation of everything because I was an engineer and, and oh, I like sure. like knowing how things work and, and all of that. So I've had to stop myself a few times and be like take it easy. It's yeah. kids books about magic. The one thing that you did say that like I realized while reading it the times I really could tell how much Dumbledore is talking is that a few of the pages are just an entire page where it's only Dumbledore talking and there's not even things like Dumbledore said or Dumbledore continued and you just keep having a new paragraph and then an indent and a quote and you have to keep doing the mental gymnastics of like reading a couple words and then being like oh this is still Dumbledore talking and not Harry replying He's still like, going the way it is structured you're like oh this this looks like someone replying like the way you would do dialogue in in a non you know in a paragraph format but the, but then a sentence in, you're like, this is too smart to be Harry. Oh, it's Dumbledore <laughs> still talking. A lot of this was just him explaining, which like you have to do because it's complex. And yeah. that's what makes the books interesting is that the narrator, which I'm still confused about if it is 100% Harry or whatever, for the most part, the narrator mainly knows what Harry knows. So when Harry is in the dark, you're in the dark. So you then have to learn stuff at the same time as Harry. And and it makes it a little like played out where you have to have these like very explainative, like you have a whole chapter where Snape is like, let me explain to you why I'm not a dick. Like yeah. here's the whole thing. So you have to have a lot of these like big old explanation chapters. I still think it was very well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, a lot of Dumbledore being like, hello, here's what just <laughs> happened. How's it going? So Harry asks where they are. And Dumbledore says, I was going to ask you, which come on, like Ugh. cut the shit. <laughs> Harry says, it, it feels like King's Cross, except it's emptier and cleaner. And Dumbledore then laughs at him, which like I at this point, I really didn't like this new Dumbledore. No, you're rude. Especially because I was left with a bad taste of Dumbledore in my mouth because the last thing we've learned about Dumbledore is him basically using Harry as a pawn in his big chess game. Mm-hmm. So you kind of go into it with this thought of, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about Dumbledore. Like, is he a good dude? Did he just use Harry? Is this gross? And then now he's just very coy and then very sassy and then very dismissive. And you're like, all right, dude, like, come on. <laughs> like Harry just found out that you basically just used him to try to save the world. Yeah. And you didn't really give a shit about him as much as you let on. 
You think you could at least try to save some face with the kid? <laughs> this is such a good lesson for all 17-year-olds, though, right? <laughs> is, is that, like, dad is not magic. That, like, dad is very human. Mm-hmm. And that dad makes a lot of choices in your life that are self-serving. Right. And that it's hard to believe that. You know, like, I, I'm... 44 years old and I'm like <laughs> oh yeah 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 oh these are very human people yeah in my, my family as a kid you're just told to respect all adults and all adults are good yeah and then you grow a little bit older and you see some stuff and you get an understanding like oh adults aren't automatically good like there are right. good adults and bad adults and sometimes those bad adults are in my family yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it is important for people of Harry's age to recognize like even the people who appear to be perfect might not be so might great. Be, like everyone yeah. has their flaws. I think that's what makes J.K. Rowling's characters interesting is that everyone seems to have their flaws even if they're just fleeting like Lupin having the brief thing where he's like, I don't want to have a kid and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then he comes back to being a really great dad. So I find that complex. really fascinating because uh, as an aside, I, I keep referencing Dumbledore's Harry's dad, but he's his dad in like metaphorically. <laughs> yes, I mean, the paternal. Yes, yes. I, I do know. I <laughs> I, I, You've read. The I don't want to get. I, I don't want to get told. This, this idiot. He thinks <laughs> Dumbledore's Harry's dad. I know he's his uncle. I know the relationships. I'm very clear on how this works. His second cousin twice removed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You guys were talking on. Uh, well, it's several episodes ago sure. now, but uh, you guys were talking on chapter thirty mm-hmm. about the idea of the characters you liked. Yes. Um, but then you kind of see like. Lupin is much cooler than Sirius Black. Yes. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah. Lupin is much cooler than like Sirius Black to you. To me now. <laughs> but but if you were a kid reading this, you can see, I think 100%. Brandon brought up the idea of like the, that you could see as a, as a kiddo, how Sirius Black would be cool. hundred percent. And also like he's, well, he's another dad's surrogate mm-hmm. for you, you know? And so they're, those are, I think those are really key things to, that I think about in, in going through this book too. And that, that moment when you realize what a shit heel Dumbledore is or what a the heel turn that Snape has in book six but mm-hmm. then comes back comes back but it's not a full good. redemption arc not either because really. you realize he's a, he's a sniveling beta I mean, right he's, like he's, it's he's just a, like he's a 30 plus like, a man in his 30s who still hasn't gotten over a high school crush yeah he's still stuck on that which is actually very scary yeah that's a it's super scary behavior in the, a person. Yeah, it's something where people will get upset with me because I'm very harsh against Snape. But when you look at the circumstances of it, the fact that it was a love that he had as a kid and mm-hmm. in high school, and now he's a grown man, that's what makes it really weird. If it was something where they were older and they had a more deep connection, but it was just like, it was just a girl that he spent a lot of time with and he thought that made him entitled to dating her or being romantically interested and she just didn't reciprocate. You don't get to hold that grudge until you're well into your 30s. And then even, even not even just picking on Harry, but like you pick on Neville and Hermione just because they're friends with Harry. Yeah. Like that's so wild. Hey, editing Mike here. Since recording, a lot of people have pointed out to me that a reason that Snape might hate Neville is because he could have been the other person in the prophecy. And if Voldemort had gone after him, Lily would still be alive. I think this is a very good theory. It could be true. But regardless, Snape should not be picking on small children that he's teaching. He's a professor. And part of the job of being a professor is helping to mold students into witches and wizards. He's not doing it. It's incredibly inappropriate. This dude should have been fired like 12 different times anyway back to the podcast at his core he's he's a dick i knew a guy in college i'll just call him dan and like the uh but i remember my roommate Anand and i just hated him so much <laughs> but i remember trying to tell Anand was really mad at him one day just how rude he was and i said you know i think i do think that dan's a little socially awkward i don't think he fully understands 
what he's saying all the time sure. that it comes off as mean or rude. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't care what his intent is. Like, asshole is asshole. Yeah. Like, the man's an asshole. When you get to a certain age, that isn't an excuse anymore. Yeah. When you're weird in high school or college and you don't know how to approach people or handle situations, that's okay. When you're a 35-year-old man, yeah. you should know how to conduct yourself. Especially if you're a teacher, you should know how to conduct yourself around kids. Yeah. Is that, how old Snape, uh, I mean, is that how old Snape is? I'm these? pretty sure they were in their early 20s when the Potters got married. So they're like 21, 22 or something. Uh-huh. They have Harry when they're, let's say they're 22-ish when they have Harry. And then... Oh, that quick, huh? Yeah, so they're very young. Yeah. When they, yeah, when they die, I think they're like 21 or 22. Whoa. And they had just had Harry. So let's assume they are 22. Then in the first book, Harry is 11. So in the very beginning of the series, Snape is 33. Yeah. And like now he's what? 30? Well, no, if, like, if Snape is is Lily's age. Right. 22 when Harry is born. So he So is, Harry's 17 now in book 7, right? right? So he's so, yeah, 40. So he's, <laughs> so he's yeah, 40 still that's very young. But um, it, it's old enough to not just yeah. be like, oh this girl yeah, didn't yeah, yeah, like yeah. me this one time. When I, I say young not cuz I'm I'm trying to say 40 is the new 20 or whatever. <laughs> I just mean that I I just I I it think it's like a hung, number. <laughs> I just got hung up on Alan Rickman playing. The casting, wild. Yeah. Sirius Black being played by Gary Oldman is bonkers. He was like 48 and he's supposed to be 33 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. It is bonkers. It is Absolutely absurd. Yeah. Hey, editing Mike here again. It has been brought to my attention that a reason that a lot of the actors who played the Marauders, Harry's parents, etc. are older is because they really wanted Alan Rickman to play Snape and to make that believable, they had to make everyone look the same age. I get how this could make sense, but I just don't like that they did it. First off, because Alan Rickman is great and lovable. I think he's too lovable. He's a major reason why people actually like Snape. They don't go by the books. They go by the movies. He's way more likable in the movies. They change some stuff and Alan Rickman's Alan Rickman. But also, you get Sirius not looking like he's supposed to and then you lose out on the true tragic nature of the death of Harry's parents because they were 21, 22 years old. That is so much more intense when you could see someone and think, I can't believe that these people died. They're so young. Whereas when you look at Harry's parents in the movies, you just think, oh yeah, those are adults. They lived a good life. They didn't. They lived for about 20 years. That's not a lot. And I think you miss out on that gut punchness of it by having the actors and actresses be so old. Uh. So many things. So many, so many so things. So many things. <laughs> anyway, new Dumbledore, not a fan. No, no. <laughs> so Harry, a little defensively, asks, well, where do you think we are? And Dumbledore says that he doesn't know because this isn't my party, which, like, he's... Uh, is so frustrating. <laughs> and I was really upset at this point. And then the narrator even says, quote, Dumbledore was being infuriating, which, yes, yes, very accurate. So Harry brings up the Deathly Hallows. Dumbledore's tone then changes very sharply, which confuses Harry. Dumbledore starts by apologizing to Harry for not telling him about them, but he didn't want Harry to fall victim to the same temptation that he did, which makes sense. I completely support Dumbledore's reasoning for making the reveal of the Hallows in a way where they would learn about them after it was too late. I Mm -hmm. think that was incredibly smart of him to do, kept them on track for the Horcruxes. You know Harry and Ron are both going to want to go for them, so I think it made a lot of sense. But Dumbledore apologizes for not telling him about it straight up, but explains why he did so. Dumbledore then goes on to compare himself to Voldemort, though, saying that he also sought to conquer death. And Harry tries to give him the benefit of the doubt, saying that it's not the same because Dumbledore sought out the Hallows, not the Horcruxes. And Dumbledore agrees and repeats that phrase, Hallows, not Horcruxes. 
Harry then asks if Grindelwald was after them too. And Dumbledore says that that is what brought them together more than anything. And Dumbledore says that's what brought them together more than anything, to which I wrote in my notes, except for that ass, because <laughs> J.K. Rowling and this whole big, they had a big, real passionate fuckfest love. Um, but he's saying that like what really brought them together as colleagues or whatever you want to say they are is because of this shared obsession with the Hallows. Dumbledore says, quote, two clever, arrogant boys with a shared obsession. Harry asks if the story of the Deathly Hallows, like the actual fairy tale, if the actual fairy tale itself is true. And Dumbledore confirms that the Peverells are a real family, but the three Hallows might have just been inventions by all of them, which I think is way more interesting. Yeah. And I, I like, how do you make the invisibility cloak? I don't even know what what to even, so what fabric, do you go to Joanne? I don't know where you even go to get the material to make that. I'm slowly compiling a list of spinoff series that I think would be more interesting than Cursed Child, which I'm seeing in two days. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, so fun. really cutting it down to the wire for finishing uh -huh. the books. I'm going to be reading the final chapter tomorrow and then seeing Chris Child the day after. Perfect. But I feel like there are so many more interesting spinoffs slash sequels slash prequels they could have done. The Peverells inventing the Hallows, that would be wildly interesting. Yeah. That would be so much fun. I think that would be really, really cool. I just also want to know. I would watch that HGTV yeah. program as Ooh. well. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's where we should be going with some of these, actually. I think I think we're doing too many spinoffs where we're like, well, let's make another film series or let's uh -huh. make a comic book series or let's make a TV show based on a movie or based uh -huh. on a book. Like we should be actually building out programming for like Food Network and HGTV, like Wizard Cooking Show, but it's all canon. Like it's yeah. all in the world of Harry Potter. I think that could be really, really interesting. That would be awesome. Has any sort of franchise or universe done that? Because I think that would be huge. No, I mean, I, I feel like somewhere along the way, somebody's probably like, especially in comics, you can get away with like a quick spoof of a thing really right. quickly and, and kind of have issues that are... Classic Deadpool. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can totally do something like that. But yeah, uh, I do think it would be really fascinating. I mean, BoJack Horseman kind of did this. They made an entire like Christmas special episode where it was them watching a Christmas special episode of the TV show that BoJack was on. Right. So that was like kind of tangential. But like, imagine if there was a, an MCU cooking show or like an M yeah. like some sort of reality show. Like they did a Bachelor thing with the X-Men. Like Im imagine if it was just completely all in character. This is all in canon. But it's like, what if they decided to make a show that completely adhered to the, yeah. the stuff but fit this other format that'd be wouldn't, so fun wouldn't you watch a top gear style program that's tony stark and peter parker just Holy trying out all the crazy yes. machinery and and weapons and outfits and all of that sort of thing hey brandon you still know people at marvel <laughs> you still got some contacts <laughs> i think there's so many things that could happen oh man we need it but yes the peverells are real the hallows are just inventions i need to see it I, I, uh, 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 I'm uh. imagining like Mythbusters, except they're inventing things. <laughs> <laughs> so Dumbledore confirms that Ignotus, who is the cloak boy, is Harry's ancestor, and the cloak made its way all the way down the lineage eventually to get into Harry's hand. Dumbledore explains that James had shown it to Dumbledore just before James was killed by Voldemort. Dumbledore asked, oh, can I take a look at this and examine it? And then shortly after, you have the whole mm -hmm. situation where James and Lily get killed. Dumbledore starts to feel regret for having it the night that James died. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, that, like, that was, that that was the part that good. stuck out to me the moment that gets described, which is like, ooh, <laughs> oh, they could have used that. <laughs> but Harry 
really quickly comes to Dumbledore's defense and says, no, Voldemort knew where they were. It was going to happen no matter what. Don't beat yourself up about it. Really, this is a very good chapter for Harry for a lot of different ways. First off, he finally approaches the Dumbledore relationship correctly where he just Mm -hmm. asks him direct questions and just keeps asking and asking and asking. Then he comes to Dumbledore's defense two different times where Dumbledore starts to feel bad about himself. Yeah. And Harry's like, no, 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 you're fine. You didn't try to seek death in this awful way and the cloak wouldn't have mattered. Harry doesn't have to do this. He can be angry and he could have flipped shit on Dumbledore like, oh my God, if you if they would have the cloak, like he could have done all this stuff. But we have now two chapters back to back where Harry is incredibly mature. And honestly, just from these past two chapters, my opinion of Harry has skyrocketed. Yeah. Like through the roof. And I kind of feel bad for how much shit I gave Harry like throughout all of these episodes <laughs> of Potterless. Because I mean, he, he's 17. It is completely natural. And I think that he, this is his light bulb moment where he really grows up. I think a lot of people have moments where it all comes together at once. I had a moment like this in high school where it just all kind of clicked. And this has been Harry's moment. And he is so much more mature now. And it's awesome. And then he knows how to talk to an adult in an adult to an adult way, which yes. I think is a really big step when you're when you're not either. Because I think when you're younger and you don't understand the dynamic of what it means to just that you are a person and this adult is a person, right. but you're two people. That there, you're, there's always this this uh, hierarchy. You're you're below them somehow. Mm-hmm. So your reaction has to always be to either do what they say or mm-hmm. to scream at them. Yes. You have to lash out yeah, or yeah. to just follow orders. Mm-hmm. And so, and here's a case where he's actually having a real conversation with Dumbledore about Dumbledore's feelings. He does a really good job. I'm very impressed with Harry, frankly. Dumbledore then goes into a big monologue about feeling bad for his past and the way that he treated his family and how he was selfish and he was bitter about having to care for his family after all of the stuff went down when his mom died and they needed to care for them even though he had these big plans to search for the Hallows and travel the world and all this other stuff. And then in this monologue he goes on about how much he regrets being of the same mind of Grindelwald and how his ideas caught his interest in all of that. He says that the heart of their plans was the Deathly Hallows. He reveals that the Resurrection Stone then means that you get an army of the Inferi, which seemed like an out-of-left-field kind of thing. Was that clarified before that, like, oh, if you own this Hallow, you also can control all the zombies? I honestly do not remember okay. ever knowing that information yeah, at all. Yeah, it seemed... It seemed very abrupt. I don't know if I just missed this or if it was said before, but I feel like that makes it way better. Yeah. That might have changed my answer when people before had asked me, what do you think the worst hallow is? I was like, I have the resurrection stone. All you can do is see like ghost versions of people and it makes you sad. You get to control a bunch of zombies. That's a huge plus. You get to be the Night King basically (laughs) is what happens. That seems like a very big pro. So he makes that revelation. And then Dumbledore moves on to the fateful fight between him and Grindelwald and Aberforth, where, unfortunately, Ariana gets caught in the crossfire and dies. Dumbledore does cite this moment as when his sense got knocked back into him. Aberforth came forward, calling him out on him not having his head straight, and that's what kind of opened his eyes to the whole thing. After the whole fight, Grindelwald fled and went off to find the Deathly Hallows to seek power and to torture muggles. Dumbledore then reveals that afterwards, there were rumors that Grindelwald had obtained the Elder Wand. And shortly after this, Dumbledore was offered the position of Minister of Magic multiple times, but he kept turning it down because he thought he couldn't be trusted with power. Which, uh, I liked this part too, because Harry is like, you would have been way better than Fudge. And he's like, would I? And in my head, I'm like, 
You would. Yes, I mean, you would have been way better than Fudge. But but also an incredibly low bar. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. Anyone, so many people, Arthur Weasley would have been leaps and bounds better than those two. That's dudes. right. Not great. <laughs> but yes, I don't know that Dumbledore really couldn't be trusted with power. I I don't know that. I mean, I guess he's saying that his quest for power was too much where if he mm-hmm. was given power, he would have misused it. I guess it kind of makes sense because Dumbledore still was pretty young when all this went down. Like he had very recently graduated from Hogwarts. So yeah. he couldn't be more than like 22-ish. So yeah. he's still a college age kid. You can't have a college age kid running the country. No. That's not a good idea. So I, I totally get it. This part was really interesting to me, him talking about his history and especially his relationship to Grindelwald and... The thing that's interesting to me is that at one point in talking to Harry, and I forget the exact context in this chapter, but he uses the word muggle to describe other people in talking straight to Harry. It's not once I said the word muggle, like he says it in the moment, which is really interesting because it's, I mean, it's not, I don't want to be, I don't want to like make ties to like real world social justice things. Sure. But there is a thing where like he, reading this in 2019 eyes, where we're having a lot more conversation about Mm -hmm. what it means to be a shitty white person and a white nationalist. And like, he's very like wizard nationalist in this, like in the way he describes where he's coming from. Or at least where he was. Where he was. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and again, like I, it was just weird rereading this now and thinking about current dialogue around that, Mm -hmm. around the site. I really don't want to be one of those people who like has to relate current day news topics to Harry Potter. You're you're fine. But I I just, it just threw me off. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm like, mate, Maybe if I went back and reread all those books, maybe it happens constantly and we know all of this. But I just in the moment, I was like this morning reading this (laughs) was like, whoa, hey, there are a lot of parallels. I mean, at the core, the fifth book is a book about a corrupt government and misuse of power. Mm -hmm. No matter what side you fall on, that's happening Mm -hmm. in today's government here in the States and other places, too. And if you don't believe that. I would hope you maybe watch some other news channels yeah. or read other articles. People get mad at me. A lot of one-star iTunes reviews of like, Great. he makes this about politics so often unnecessarily, which like, first off, it does not happen very often. But like at the core, these books are about a like a major factor is about a corrupt government in the Ministry of Magic and media that lies. And yeah. that's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And I try not to talk about it too much, but like it comes up. I'm not shoehorning it in. Yeah. I could have made far more jokes about it if I wanted to, but I've chosen not to. And I I think that it is a testament to the quality of J.K. Rowling's writing Yeah, that it still holds firm today and it can be interpreted in different ways when it came out versus now and related to it. It's not like she predicted the future or anything. It's just like, it's a common theme. Like people get in power and then they misuse it and you can draw parallels. And I don't think it's bad to do so. And that's such a truism throughout history anyway. So it doesn't feel like it's that political to say like, oh, we're dealing with a corrupt government or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like lazy to be like, Trump is Voldemort. Yeah, no, that's not Um, great. Because it's Voldemort was so articulate. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, there's a thing where, like, we're sort of missing a lot of, uh, there's a lot of key elements missing between the two of them. Yeah, I I think it's always that when you take, like, there's a contemporary news event, there's a thing Mm -hmm. where you start tying individual characters or some small storyline from book three or six or something. You're like, it's just like this. And when Mm -hmm. so-and-so did the thing. And yeah, I only brought that up only because I just thought, like, it just threw me off reading that today Mm -hmm. of when he has that story. I'm like, I forgot this entirely. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably because when I read it the week it came out. Mm -hmm. And, And so it was a thing where, like, that, I just wasn't, 
filtering the same information. It was at a time where everyone agreed Nazis were bad, whereas like apparently in the past two years, we have to maybe to give them right, their right, due. Right. <laughs> yeah, we just weren't having an ongoing conversation about white nationalism. Not that it didn't <laughs> exist. Not that the racism didn't exist before 2016 or whatever. <laughs> like that's not where I'm coming from at all, but it was just... It's just more in the zeitgeist now yeah, as yeah. an actual conversation. Anyway, so it just it just threw me off. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, that that's a whole part of him I'd forgotten completely as to like there there is a there's just like an open admission as yeah. to how he was. And I love that he is so open about it and transparent about it and admits that it was a dark stain and, and he changed. Yeah. And he became a bigger person. And it much like the Lupin thing, it was like a fleeting thing. For Dumbledore, it lasted like a couple years until he kind of saw Grindelwald take it too far. And then he was like, oh, this is actually bad. Yeah, yeah. And then that's not who he is anymore. But regardless, no matter what, even if you're just looking at don't put a 22-year-old person in mm-hmm. charge of the ministry, I think it makes sense. Yeah. Dumbledore thought that he would be a better fit at Hogwarts as a teacher, and he goes on to say that he feared Grindelwald, not out of death that Grindelwald was going to kill him. He's a great quote where he says, I knew that we were evenly matched. Perhaps even I was a shade more skillful. <laughs> Keyword is shade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's sure. very good. But he was afraid of the truth. He never knew whose spell actually killed Ariana, and he was terrified of somehow learning that it was actually him. Which, I mean, that's like real. That's super real. That's super real. And, and also, uh, but and, and Harry doesn't want to know either, mm-hmm. which goes back to more about this chapter, which I find really great is that, like, I think it's fine to not know everything about everybody. Yeah. And I think it's fine to not have all of the answers. Like that's, Mm -hmm. in fact, it's, it's more important that that's haunted him. Like, yeah, that's the fact we need to know is, is that this is a haunting thing. Like if you know one way or the other, there's a closure Mm -hmm. to that information. And that's not the character building that we want here. Yeah. Yeah. Dumbledore has the correct amount of grief and regret about the situation. There is no need to further that by being like, oh, you know how you already feel like trash about this thing? By the way, it was you. Like, it doesn't matter if it was his actual spell or Grindelwald's actual spell. That doesn't change anything. So it's not worth investigating. Let's just use this as the tragic moment and learning point that it is. Yeah. And no need to make me feel even more crappy about it. (laughs) Right. So Dumbledore delayed meeting Grindelwald again until it was absolutely necessary when he was going far too Hitlery and killing way too many people. Dumbledore then stomped his ass in a duel, and Harry decides not to ask if he ever found out who killed Ariana because he doesn't want to run the risk of Dumbledore having to tell him that he did or come yeah. to grips with that fact. So yeah, you make a very good point here. So they sit in silence for a long time. Dumbledore then says that Grindelwald tried to stop Voldemort from getting the wand by saying he never had it, which we did see in those flashbacks where he was saying he never possessed it. Dumbledore says that apparently Grindelwald had remorse in his cell alone in later years in life, according to, I guess, the guards, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, told him. Sure. <laughs> and Dumbledore says that he hopes so, which I guess is good. Give him mild redemption or something, but I don't know. Yeah. Like he could have done more than be like, yeah, I never had it, Voldemort. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> and it. I mean, he's an important character in terms of the plot, but he's such a minor character in the book too. So right. part of me is like, nah, I don't care. Yeah, his name is said less times than Ludo Bagman's. So do we really? <laughs> do we really need to know about him? So Harry suggests that it might have been. Grindelwald not wanting Voldemort to break into Dumbledore's tomb, which I think is interesting. Like Grindelwald's still holding on to that 
whatever mm-hmm. passionate love that they had that sure. we never see in canon stuff but gets revealed in behind the scenes interviews so harry asks about dumbledore trying to use the resurrection stone and this is when i finally realized that's why he put on the ring because it wasn't until just now in the in like the last chapter or the chapter before that we actually learned that the stone in that ring was the resurrection stone. Because mm-hmm. I was very confused when we do the Snape flashback and Dumbledore put the ring on. I was like, why the fuck would he do this? This seems very out of character. Yeah, because he just kind of talks so bleakly about like a, being seduced by the yes. power of the ring or what have you. Yeah, yeah. and it seems super out of character. Yeah. And it was like, this is, that seems out of left field. Why would he do this? Yeah. Now it makes so much sense. And JK's very good at this, especially yeah. in this book. There's a lot of times where I'm like, this is weird. And then uh-huh. two chapters later, I'm like, oh, which right. is the whole reason of the why she wrote it the way she did. So it's very fun. So yes, he tried to use the resurrection stone, which I still don't get why he put on the ring because in the story, you're supposed to turn the stone over three times. It still doesn't 100% make sense to me. Yes, he's... Is he doing, yeah, some. Does he do his the hand. single ladies dance? He when does he puts the it single on. ladies <laughs> hand gestures. Yep, that's exactly it. So Dumbledore says that he, and maybe this explains it, he just lost his mind when he finally found that particular hallow. It was the one that he wanted most all along because he wanted to apologize to his family. But he just completely blanked on the ring itself having a horcrux in it and thus Voldemort putting some sort of curse on it like every other horcrux had. Did the cup have a curse? Or yeah, the cup, did the cup have, was that the multiplying thing? Was that in the cup? Or was that just in the vault? I feel like the cup could have been a little better protected. I feel like they had a hard time destroying everything else and the cup was kind of a walk in the park once they got it out of that vault. (laughs) (laughs) They're just like, oh, this big fire animal murdered it by accident. (laughs) Yeah, well, the vault, this is the Gringotts fault, right? Yeah, Yeah, where everything multiplies and becomes hot. Right, right. So, yeah, I feel like that was really the challenge to that. At that point, Mm -hmm. you're just like, well, let's just make the cup kind of easy. The room's hard enough. We don't have to worry about the cup. It's just a red solo cup. It's a beer pong (laughs) cup. You just step on it. So he just completely forgot that it would have a curse on it. Dumbledore then, you know, regrets doing it and all of that. He says that he was never worthy to unite all of the Hallows. He was only deserving of the wand, which he calls the least extraordinary, which I think is very fun, and says that he was worthy because he took it not to kill people, but solely to prevent others from using it for killing. Dumbledore says that he only took the cloak out of curiosity, so it never could have worked for him as it did for Harry, its true owner. And given the fact that Harry just used it to, like, sneak around in the hallways, I don't know that Harry has this profound use of the cloak. And also, like, the true owner is really interesting, like, just because it's passed down from... The family. The, the, from the family. I got, it's magic, I guess. That's that, sure. uh, Listen, I was going to have a question, but I just answered it myself. It's magic. <laughs> it's magic. It all takes place at a, as a, at a wizarding school. Like, just don't worry about it. <laughs> Dumbledore says that he would have used the stone to bring back his family and apologize, but that would have also been bad because they are at peace, which makes me find the whole stone thing very interesting. Like, are you just like at rest in heaven? And then it's like, hey, you actually have a meeting scheduled and you need to go talk to Dumbledore. It's like, ah. Oh. I was so comfortable. <laughs> Do I really have to go down to Earth? <laughs> so he goes on to say that Harry is the only one worthy of uniting all three Hallows. Harry asks why Dumbledore had to make it so hard to get them, and Dumbledore reiterates that he didn't want him to fall prey to those same temptations that he did going after them. And his whole plan was to have Hermione slow him down because he knew Hermione would question Harry along the way, which is great, but also Hermione was there to like save Harry's ass 12 times. Right. (laughs) Like it was a bit more than just like, oh, she's going to make you slower. Right. Hermione also like invented a flex capacitor, right? To like cheat on tests. 
guess. So it's not like she was always like by the book. Yeah, I get it. But I mean, Dumbledore's reasoning here was fine, but I think he he could have given a little bit more credit to Hermione. here. Yeah. Dumbledore says that Harry is the master of death, which feels strange to even read. It's weird. Because the true master does not run away from death. He understands that he must die. And there are far worse things in the world than dying, which I guess holds true because Ignotus did that with the cloak. He eventually came to the point where he welcomed death and passed his cloak on and right. didn't fear him. Yeah. So I guess that holds true from the actual fairy tale of the Deathly Hallows itself. It is interesting that the couple of chapters build up to this too of kind of dealing with like it's when he sees uh Snape's memories in the pensive right when we're uh, set, yeah it's a, he goes into the pensive right and he sees uh Snape's memories and he kind of gets uh uh he watches Dumbledore learn he maybe has a year to live because mm-hmm. of that ring and Snape saying like I I there's very little that could that curse is just going to go crazy it's like yeah. yeah I'm sorry you have cancer of all over your body Pretty and it's much. like you may have a year it's it usually doesn't it's Ugh. not much I can do and it's really interesting cuz that like to use the cancer thing I mean, like cancer is a very real thing that yeah. that we a lot of us will have to face with ourselves or with family members and it for Harry to see that again like I do think that's one of the wonderful things about a young adult novel of having not just the platitude of what it means to be an adult, mm-hmm. but actually seeing what an adult has to confront. Yeah. And as you, Harry has to do it at 17, whereas most of us won't really start having to think about this until late. It starts to get like late 30s yeah. when you start losing people right, just right, older right. than you and you start really thinking about your own death and you start having to have like wills and things yeah, like Harry that. Harry has to grow up real quick. He has to grow up real fast, but I'm like, it's such an amazing thing to see a person embody the the idea of like, Yes, I'm ready mm-hmm. for this. Like nobody wants to die. No, but you know you have to. So want is moot. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting that that that's a very ma- seeing a character so maturely in the face of death mm-hmm. is really fascinating there. And so for us to re- kind of reiterate the point of like it's actually not that there are a lot worse things. Yeah, and even more extreme is that Harry is someone that handled so many other things so immaturely that when he handles this maturely, it's like oh wow, okay, yeah, this boy grew up a whole bunch. That's right. That's right. So Harry asks if Voldemort knew about them. Dumbledore says no, and then even if he did, he would have only cared about the wand who would have thought that the other ones were useless harry asks if dumbledore knew that voldemort would go after the hallows and dumbledore says yes because after voldemort got bested in little hangleton which i was sure to write down for future trivia purposes uh-huh. only um where the whole gold flames thing happened voldemort first thought it was harry's skill but then after he learned about the twin cores thing when he kidnapped olivander his course then changed where he's like, oh, it was just the core thing. It's not my skill. I'm fine. I just need a better wand. So then he was like, I got to get the Elder Wand because that's it. If I get the Immutable Wand, boom, we're all good because I am at least equal or more skilled mm-hmm. than Harry Potter. Dumbledore's plan was for Snape to end up with the Elder Wand. The grand plan was that Voldemort would be dead and not Snape. So then Snape can have the wand and he can be master of death and make sure no one else gets it kind of thing. Or at least master of this one hallow. So this chapter was very good of me, of these little things that I was like, why Why did this happen? And then, (laughs) oh, okay, yeah, cool, cool, cool. But then Harry and Dumbledore both kind of laugh about it. They're like, well, that didn't work out so well, did it? (laughs) (laughs) Snape's dead. Uh, So the baby then makes another noise and it's decision time. Harry can either go back and fight Voldemort, who has the Elder Wand, though there is a chance that Voldemort will be dead. I sincerely hope he is not dead. I will get into my predictions when we finish, but we're very Mm -hmm. close to the end of the chapter. So Harry can either go back or he can, quote, take a train to the beyond. And Dumbledore says that Harry has far less to fear from returning than Voldemort does, which is very true. 
So Harry looks at this skinless baby again, and Dumbledore says, Do not pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living, and above all, those who live without love. By returning, you may ensure that fewer souls are maimed, fewer families are torn apart. If that seems to you a worthy goal, then we say goodbye for the present. I didn't know how else to describe that quote except for just to write the whole thing. Sure. Because it was like very profound and I was like, all right. Yeah. I don't even know how to sound smart about it, but it's very well written and very good. And if I heard this and I was Harry, I'd be like, yeah, I'm a kick Voldemort's ass. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's the perfect pep talk. It's There's definitely, I don't feel the tension of a tough decision to make at yes. the end of this chapter. I yeah, definitely it's obvious. do not feel the tough decision. <laughs> like I, I do think the more challenging thing to do as a writer is to have him be like, you know what? I'm chill here. Ooh. Me and this baby going to go hang out. <laughs> He's my new puppy. <laughs> and um yeah, I uh, there's not there's there's not a tough decision here. No. Yeah. Harry even feels that returning is easier than the decision he had to originally face to walk into the forest and face death the first time. Even though it is nice here and he's running the risk of pain and more loss, but with whether it's Dumbledore's speech or the whole situation, he decides he's going to go. So the two stand up, they look into each other's faces. Harry asks if this was real or if this was happening inside of his head. And Dumbledore says, of course, this is happening inside your head, Harry. But why on earth should that mean it is not real? Which I'm assuming everyone that year made that their yearbook quote when oh, they graduated. They so like to have, every yeah. single person in 2008 or whenever this book came out. Yeah. Like everybody had to do that. Yes. Oh, oh, <laughs> man. When did this go? Like 2010? I think the, bo- uh, when did the book. When the book come out? Oh, book release. 2007. 2007. 2007. Wow. The book came out. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So. I would love to see people's class of 2007 yearbooks. Really if you were a class of 2007, those. look in your yearbook and see how many people made it. Either that or Whit Beyond Measure is a man's greatest treasure. And then you know that person's a Ravenclaw. Um, <laughs> but that's the end of this chapter. Before we wrap it up, I want to talk about what I think will happen next because my predictions are fun, especially when they're very wrong, which I think I'm about to be. There's three things that can happen. One, Harry wakes up and Voldemort is dead. Boo, boring, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. Two, Voldemort's alive and then it's a situation where they have to duel and like they're it's like Harry was on a video game and it said one life left and he died and now it says zero lives left like it does in Crash Bandicoot and you're like oh I actually have one more like the one counts and now they just get to do a big high stakes duel where there's no extra souls though the reason that I'm not sure about this is because Nagini is still there Mm -hmm. and here's what I think would be very interesting the most fun version of the final duel which if this is it I will do a backflip If the Horcrux in Harry's soul breaks, if that has to kill Voldemort because of the prophecy, the way the Horcrux works, the blood thing, whatever, and now Voldemort is in that soul thing again, he then, going by how Horcruxes have been explained to us, has to fill whatever Horcrux is remaining to get part of his soul. All that's left is Nagini. So the final duel could be Harry versus Voldemort possessing Nagini as a snake. And that would be the fucking hypest shit ever. (laughs) If the final duel is not just Harry versus Voldemort, it's Harry versus Voldemort, who is a big ass snake. I would love this and I would freak out and I don't think it's going to happen, but oh, it would make me so happy. It would make me so happy. Nagini rises up and just says, kids don't do drugs. (laughs) The end. Oh, I would love it because even if it comes back and what I think it, the more likely scenario, Voldemort's still alive and now they actually have to duel. Yeah. And then the prophecy gets laid out where one of them dies, you know, one has to kill the other, et yeah. cetera. 
the big question is like, you still have to kill Nagini. Like who's going to kill Nagini? Because you need to do that before Voldemort can be completely vanquished. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if like Hagrid, Hagrid's the only good guy here. It's a bunch of Death Eaters, Voldemort, Hagrid, and Harry. So I don't know if like tied up Hagrid finds a way to like destroy Nagini or other people come in or what. But like, I don't know where this next chapter is going to go. I'm really pulling for Snake Voldemort though. <laughs> But regardless, that's the end of this chapter, and that's the end of this episode of Potterless. So, Jeffrey, how do you feel about chapter 35? I really loved it. Like, what a weird and special chapter, actually, Mm -hmm. that I got drawn to read and and talk about, because it's so different from every other chapter in this book. Yes, incredibly. And I think in all seven books, actually. Like, I think it's really amazing. I think it's a very good job of, as a writer, you've built up all of this lore, and now you have to explain all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And you you really almost have no way around just having the device of the evil villain explaining to James Bond Mm -hmm. his plan all along. Right. But that's kind of what you sort of have to do. And I just thought she did it pretty elegantly. Yes. It was very well done because at its core, this chapter is a, let me explain to you what's happening, friends. Yeah. But it's done very well and it's done in a very unique and interesting way. In a way that I haven't seen in this book or any other, like I've never seen this kind of thing ever done. I guess there's the occasional, like you go to heaven and then like the God character is like, let me tell you what's up. But like this, this felt less campier than that it felt more genuine and i I think you're right that this chapter just stands out from so many because like how many chapters only have two characters in them this entire chapter only has harry and dumbledore yeah and i'm glad we get a harry able to talk to dumbledore chapter Mm -hmm. because i've been pining since the very beginning like yo i harry got it i was screaming for him to talk to the painting version of dumbledore so he can at least have something so i guess this is a it's still the same effect but it's a more creative and interesting way. Yeah. And I think the vagueness of the situation and not knowing exactly what's going on is good because it's less distracting because basically halfway through the chapter, you just have to be like, all right, it doesn't matter what this is. We know this is some sort of weird dream sequence and Dumbledore's going to explain stuff and we're good. So I thought it was very good. Yeah. I thought it was very fun. I don't know what the fuck that skinless baby is though. I'm so confused. Is that supposed to be like Voldemort? I mean, in my head it's, I mean, if I'm, if in trying to be literal about it, like why is it there? I think it's Voldemort's soul. Okay. Oh, but it's all in Harry's mind. I'm like, I'm not in, but see the, the problem I have with that is, is that why is his soul a a flayed baby? Mm -hmm. Other than, I guess, because it's in Harry's mind. I mean, Uh I sort of like that it's not explained and in, sometimes I just, would rather have something be weird than explained. Yes. And I liked it just being weird. So I'm, I'm sure Reddit or whoever has uh-huh. broken it down and explained what yes. it all means. <laughs> but I, I find that less interesting. I just like that there's a flayed baby in the corner. <laughs> I th- they tell you enough about it to know that it's some sort of tie to Voldemort, but yeah. not exactly how it works. And I think that's okay. I feel like I need to reserve judgment, and I'll talk about this in the next episode more when I figure out what happened to Voldemort, because I don't know if he's dead or alive or a snake. So I think that's when we'll come to that conclusion. So I'll save it for that episode. But Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming into the Multitudio. Hey, Brandon, thanks for recording us and stuff. Thanks, Brandon. And listeners, thanks for listening. If people want to find you, what, where can they go? What can they, they can do? go listen to welcome to nightvale.com or within the, uh, that's the website. You can listen to the website though. You should have to click some buttons before it will say anything. Um, you can listen to welcome to nightvale. You can listen to within the wires, my other fiction podcast. And then Joseph and I just started a new podcast about writing called start with this. So check any of those out. And you can listen to Jeffrey Craner 
on Horse, yes. episode 19, which is very good, where you renamed all the teams in the NBA to make things make more sense. And it was so much fun. Please, more people go listen to this episode because I really want some movement to happen. On it's this your front. TED Talk and it's great and I love it. I and hope there's an NBA TED Talk one oh, day and I get invited. Please, please make it happen. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much. And until next time, as they say, in the wizarding world of Harry Potter before they try to put skin back on a flayed baby, wizard on! <laughs> if you're feeling left out that you're not going to be able to see all these panels that I'm on for LeakyCon, don't worry. You can get access to this audio if you join the bonus episode level tier of Patreon. When it's Harry Potter related, I always take the audio from conventions and put it up as bonus episodes so you can check out all of these things that I'm about to talk about in Dallas on the internet eventually as a bonus episode on Patreon. Potterless is created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Jesse Horgan, Natalie Klobuchar, Klaus Lopu, Frank Chioto, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfilio, Abita Med, Rosemary Dodge, Maria Lisa Sikin, Romina Rivadenira, Camille Dock, Russell Dunk, Audra, Eleanor Curlin, Sydney Cawthorn, Rosa and Batamana, Nikita Power, Taylor Armstead, Ali Madsen, Amelia Krauss, Sean Montag, Sarah Nink, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orchid Grower, Vivian, the Owl, Takari Arant, Haley Hastings, Moster, Angelina Withard, Ross Marie Heisa, Alex Bisholta, Brian Williams, Caitlin Sullivan, Grace Riggles, Raul Pineda, Ingen Oddstadter, Mari Wynn, Alex Consolver, John Cotker, Noel Basile, Tao, Emily Tyrell, Robin Fernandez, Will Barrington, Liz Bigelow, Mariah Noah, Brandon Pickens, Sarah Enslin, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Gloria Gillum, Sarah and Patrick Donovan, Ali Cap 29, Hallie Bowen, Veronica Bartova, Kevin Harnoy, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Marklu, Friday J. Svedson, Ivor Peterson, Naomi Guglielmo, Tyler Latchaw, Summer Rathel, Heather Fleischman, Vera Cullitham, Carrie D. Bagson, Andrea Crock, Elisa Grieven, Lynn Walker, Cameron Watkins, Justin Montero, Christine Saunders, Jacob Parrish, Toothless Walnut, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Surjan Than Megupta, Netta Atabani, Tumnus Moran, Remy Fontaine, Matt Sferly, Sarah Shecker, Nona VM, Zina Rosnowski, Colleen Mage, Harlan Haskins, Sheldarb, Noelia, Addie, Brian, Jenny Campione, Nikki Harris, Cara Hamilton, Dorcas, Courtney Hemwood, Kine, Amanda Alfred, Sabrina, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Lindy Plackey, Martha Madueno, Benjamin Desmond, Skymart Six, Sarah Shetter, Peter Vostenak, Marta Morrison, Stephanie Magnuson, Justine Wade, Aaron Richter, CJ Ochoco, Eileen Gazesh, Violet Sullivan, Kat Yowell, Lindsay Towning, Fielding Lee, Keegan Curran, Miranda Manning, Gail Ann, Mr. Folk, Heather McMillan, Adam Bryan, Christina Walton, Maya, Zachary Davis, Kieran, Heaven, Callahan, and Darius, Christy, Lily Leader, Williams, Wire Warrior, 4976, Floor Sake, Sarah Scarsfjord, Georgia, Vilay Donner, Itzel Aime Ayala, Mitch Williams, Al Vega, Peter Wyckoff, Candy Kane, Skyla Lily, Adele Ryan, Professor Threat, Kelsey Ulesian, Ellie Hoskovchova, Kelly Maynard, Luban Maleo, Akinwande, Lena Karen, Daniel Fulkerson, Rebecca Todd, Lee Lili, Elizabeth Christofferson, Abby, Lika Faccio, Michael David Yordi, Nice Earmuffs Potter, did your mum make them for you? Cara Hoyer, Tiffany Cottrell, Kelly Otilio, Nadia Vansgard, Andrea, Courtney Telfer, Galactic Sparkle Cat, Kerry Crumpler, Jamie Kingston, Lissy, Camilo Garcia, Connie Bienkowski, Janet Noel Dettili, Mary Matile, Imo Sarah, Jennifer Went, Mylan Ilstad Johansson, Anastasia Blake, Jaden Allman, Nedry OS, Matt Barger, Riley Lane, Will Huser, Zephyr Lawrence, Artemis Peters, and Kurt Potter. Web designed by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Patina Campamanis. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash Potterless, twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, or reddit.com slash r slash Potterless. For bonus content, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. For information about the show, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com. And for merchandise, you can head to bit.ly slash merch on. If you want to tell a friend about the show or leave a review online, that really does help. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on! Thank you.